0: This conversation on COVID-19 is made possible by Discovery. Welcome to Episode 4 of Inside COVID-19. I'm Alec Hogg. In this episode, stock markets surge to their best session since 1933 after the United States throws trillions of dollars at its economy. The South African Reserve Bank has started to follow suit and we'll hear from a respected local economist why this is a very good idea. On the other hand, not such a good idea is Donald Trump's intention to reopen the U.S. economy in three weeks' time, as we'll hear about the conditions on the ground in America's virus epicenter in New York City. And on the local front, we get to grips with how the 21-day lockdown will work and what you should be doing about it. But first, today's COVID-19 headlines confirmed global cases of COVID-19 rose to almost 440,000 and the deaths to 19,675. South Africa's infections jumped to 709. That ranks the country modest 40th in the global list compiled by Coronavirus Resource Center at John Hopkins University. Most of the news of the past 24 hours, however, has been on the financial front. This after early Wednesday morning South African time, the White House and U.S. Congress agreed to a $2 trillion coronavirus stimulus bill, which will bolster jobless insurance and health care. Here's Keith Collins of the Wall Street Journal.
1: Early this morning, the White House reached a deal with lawmakers on a $2 trillion stimulus bill to respond to the coronavirus crisis. The package would send checks to many Americans, expand unemployment insurance, and offer additional resources to health care providers. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin said President Trump would sign the legislation into law upon passage. Trump administration officials say anyone leaving the New York metro area should isolate themselves for two weeks to avoid spreading the virus outside the hard-hit region. Vice President Mike Pence promises a surge in resources to the area and FEMA has shipped thousands of ventilators there. And Bernie Sanders' campaign said he would participate in another Democratic presidential debate next month, if it happens. It's a sign that the Vermont senator doesn't plan to drop out of the race, despite a string of primary defeats. He faces long odds, given Joe Biden's lead. Sanders would likely have to win big in every remaining state to seize the nomination. For more details, please head to our website, WSJ.com, or the WSJ app.
0: On Wall Street Tuesday, the Dow Jones Industrial Average rose more than 2,100 points for its biggest percentage gain in over 85 years. Stocks jumped ahead of the U.S. Congress closing out that deal on the $2 trillion coronavirus rescue package. Airlines and oil company stocks were the big winners, while gold shot up nearly 6%. Here's The Wall Street Journal's Charlie Turner.
2: A huge rebound for stocks Tuesday, with the Dow surging to its biggest one-day gain in more than 85 years. Amid signs, Congress will reach an agreement on a new stimulus bill. The Dow Jones Industrials jumped 2,112 points, more than 11 percent, to 20,704. The Nasdaq Composite rose 557 points. The S&P 500 gained 209. Senate negotiators said they were close to a deal on a $1.6 trillion rescue package designed to shield the economy from the effects of the coronavirus. Airlines, which are expected to benefit from the stimulus bill, were among Tuesday's big market winners. Shares of American Airlines surged nearly 36 percent, although they've still lost more than half their value this year. Energy companies were the best-performing sector of the S&P 500. Chevron shares jumped 18 percent. The oil giant said it would slash capital spending by $4 billion to shore up its balance sheet amid a deep slump in oil prices. Gold futures also rose 5.9 percent today, making it their best one-day performance since 2009. It's a movement that some investors saw as a return-to-normal market functioning. The price of the precious metal usually rises in times of uncertainty as investors put their money in havens, but last week it fell amid a broad sell-off in assets as panicky investors dumped stocks, bonds, and commodities in a rush for cash. For more, head to WSJ.com or the WSJ
0: app. On the Johannesburg Stock Exchange, local share prices followed Wall Street higher before easing back to a still solid 5% average gain on Wednesday. With 483 shares closing higher, outscoring losers almost 4-1. to Property, resources and hospitality stocks were well into double figures, the biggest winners on a welcome bounce for the market. Despite the recovery, however, the JSE All Share Index is still down 25% over the past three months. Ron Whelan joins us now. He's the Chief Commercial Officer at Discovery Health. But maybe bring us up to date on what's happening around the world. I I look at John Hopkins University every day, and I see now we're looking at 438,000 infections and more deaths and so on. How are you reading it?
3: Yeah, thank you, Alex. I mean, this has certainly been an unprecedented crisis for many of us. Many of us have not gone through this uh, sort of epidemic in our lives and you correct around those numbers, uh, 438,000 infections as of this afternoon. Um, we're pushing now 20,000 deaths. The interesting thing about those deaths is that they are very concentrated in um, the European and the high-risk countries. So 7,000 of the 20,000 deaths in Italy, um, 3,500 in Spain, um, 3,000 deaths in China. And that epidemic has obviously sl- slowed over the last um, you know, a few weeks or so. In fact, you know, China is recording almost no growth at the moment. So they have a handful of infections every day. Mm. Um, Iran, who was your know, early in the, the epidemic, is now up to two thousand deaths. So if you tabulate those, we're sitting at around about um, you know, fifteen thousand of the twenty thousand deaths across your know, four four countries, um, and that's I think that's an an important calibration point for all of us. You know? So there's a few concentrated you know, out, outbreaks here,
0: and South uh, Africa nothing no death yet.
3: Well, no reporting. So, yet. no deaths reported yet. So, as of uh, this morning, we're 709 infections. So, obviously, an alarming number, but not surprising given um, the growth we've seen in other countries. So, typically, you're seeing a growth of around about 30, 30% per day um, in many countries in the early phases of the, the infections. And South Africa is tracking exactly on, on that trajectory. Um, uh, and yeah, this is the reason uh, the government has moved so quickly around. Uh, mitigation strategies because uh, if we're able to flatten the curve if, if you will um, yeah it gives us the best chance of getting a, a a good outcome a good outcome yeah with no deaths yet um, I think yeah the other thing that's interesting about the the South Africa epidemic at yeah, the other stage is it's affecting mainly young people so we're tracking the numbers very closely both in we uh, yeah, have the NICD as well as within Discovery Health as well. We obviously have a number of Discovery Health members who are now affected by this uh, too. And it's a, a very, very young um, and healthy population at, at this stage of the game, which is good news, by the way, because when you look at the Italy and the Spain outbreaks, most of the deaths are happening in, happening in the elderly. In fact, yeah, the Italy outbreak... The average age of death in Italy is um, 80 years old, so 79.5 years old is the average age of uh, the people who died in Italy. Um, So that bodes well in terms of mortality in in, in South Africa.
0: How long are the young people who are being infected in South Africa taking to get over it or is it still too early to tell?
3: Well over 80% of people are either asymptomatic, so don't have any symptoms, or have very mild symptoms. And generally, if you're young and healthy, it's a typical flu-like uh, illness. Um, it starts out you know, with a, a fever and a cough and a general feeling of unwell, of, of being unwell. We sort of see that in the first you know, two or three days. You then go through a bit of an uptick, and you, where you feel a little bit better, and then it seems to come back around your eight, days eight, eight and nine, uh, where pe- people you know, tend to feel you're tired again. Um, you have a little bit of fever again, but you know, after days eight and nine, and then it's, you know, you're well on your way to recovery. Most people 14 days in have uh, no issues. In fact, we follow up with all of our Discovery Health uh, you know, clients uh, just about every day to check in you know, how, how people are doing, you know, is there any support we can offer? And by and large, your know, people are, are very comfortable, um, you know, no issues you know, whatsoever. We've had very, very few admissions on the, um, uh, the Discovery Healthier client base, which is uh, very, very reassuring and um, you know, positive for us.
0: Clearly, the fact that people are younger is in in our favor. But on the other hand, the weather, is that playing part of it? The fact that we, we've had some pretty warm days for this time of the year?
3: Yeah, there's lots of questions being asked about the weather at the moment and whether there's uh, temperature is a factor and humidity is a factor and whether the virus is uh, heat labile. In other words, is it sensitive to heat and ultra, ultraviolet light. Lots of studies happening you know, globally. Uh, the evidence thus far is inconclusive. Um, we can't say whether it's uh, uh, whether it has anything to do with your increased infection rates. We can't say whether um, heat or humidity has any uh, impact on the, the the virus, your particle. Um, hesitant to, to hazard a guess on, on that at this stage of the game. I think what does make it complicated for South Africa over the next year, two or three months, is that, unfortunately, COVID is hitting us at exactly the same time as flu is begin, it, it, it typically hits us. So our flu season typically starts towards the end of March. Um, and we're heading into a flu season now, plus a COVID season. The symptoms are very similar between a uh, flu and COVID. So uh, at Discovery, we're on a very, very big drive around, please get your, your flu shot this season. A flu vaccine is. If if there's one season you need a flu vaccine, it's this season. And the reason you need a flu vaccine is you don't want a double whammy of your COVID and uh, uh, and and the flu. And uh, if we can take one of those diseases out of the um, the community, yeah, it would be massively valuable to to our healthcare system and to the. Yeah, the, health, the health and lives of yeah, people across the country.
0: Are those vaccines available? I know my GP has uh, been complaining. She sends us WhatsApps all the time to say that she still hasn't managed to get any flu vaccines.
3: Flu vaccines are in very short supply this uh, year, or perhaps they're not short supply uh, given the relative demand for flu vaccines. We're in short supply. So we're getting around about the same amount of flu vaccine doses as we would in any given year given uh, uh, the demand for flu vaccines, it's going to be tough to to get a, a flu shot, so I'd urge people to you know, get to their uh, local pharmacies, get to you know, their doctors, you know, get in front of the queue on, on getting the flu vaccine. We've actually, as Discovery, have um, been in contact with the big um, pharmaceutical companies who uh, make the flu vaccine and you know, have tried to secure more, more supply. So we do have uh, you know, some more supply coming into the country this year, but certainly not going to meet the demand. So it's important that you you move on the flu vaccine as quickly as possible. From
0: Discovery's point of view, clearly when the emergence of this novel coronavirus started, uh, you would have been paying attention. I guess you can go back two and a half, three months now. What exactly do you do in an organisation like yours to prepare for this?
3: That's a great question, Alex, and it's uh, been almost your two and a half months. So we started... Early in January, it was coming back from December vacations for all of us. And in the first week of January, we spotted uh, a trend in China. Um, Discovery is partners with a a group called Ping An Health in China. And that alerted us to uh, the developments in uh, Wuhan and Hubei province in China. So we knew that there was something on the the boil in China already. And from the first week in January, we had uh, started watching the situation closely uh, we'd started learning more about uh, the, the virus. Um, we'd started learning more about uh, the spread of that. We'd uh, exchanged learnings from our colleagues in China at the time. Um, we'd started preparing some of the, the awareness material and communication material. Um, so this all, I think, is a, a first point that started for us in, 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 in early January. I think the second thing we've done is uh, we've assembled yeah, a very, very senior leadership team to drive and coordinate the response.
0: And you mentioned Ping, I mean, there's no, no doubt you're getting uh, lots of support there, but what about your colleagues uh, at Vitality in the UK, Neville Kurbovitz and his team?
3: Uh, we speak to Neville on a regular basis. So Neville, uh, who's the CEO there, and Keith Clintworth is the CEO. We're on the on the phone, I would say, if not every day, every second day. Um, In regular, regular contact, sharing learnings around how the epidemic is unfolding in the UK, Um, sharing uh, your learnings and experience how our colleagues in the UK are are responding to this. They're learning a lot from us. We're learning a lot from them. They got uh, some very innovative uh, responses. We've got some innovative responses um, yeah. In addition to that, we've obviously got colleagues in the U.S. as well, in in Chicago, and yeah, we're we're learning a lot from them as well. So, we really have yeah, coordinated our response across yeah, the different your yeah, market marketplaces to share best practices and uh, and and learnings.
0: So, the UK has now belatedly, perhaps, uh, decided to go into lockdown. We are going into lockdown Thursday night.
3: We've been preparing for this for a while, Alec. Um, yes, we ran our first lockdown um, dry run three weeks ago already. Um, admittedly, not to the extent we thought we were going to have to run a lockdown at. We thought we, uh, at that stage, we thought a, a, a provincial or a metropole lockdown was likely. But we were starting to dry run scenarios uh, three three weeks ago already. What we were also doing three weeks ago already is we were driving a, a work-from-home uh, strategy where, where we could already. So this has uh, been a, a process for us over the last year, three weeks. And
0: for those of us who are home, who are going to be at home, you presumably need to be employing some kind of thing to stay healthy and, and, uh, and to not get this virus.
3: By far, the, the, the most important thing, and this is the, the strategy discovery has been driving and the government is driving very hard at the moment. So the most effective response you know, globally has been um, social distancing and spatial separation. And there's a very simple uh, physics around this in that the virus is spread, spread by droplets, um, small little liquid droplets that uh, come out of your mouth or nose when you cough or sneeze or talk. And the reality around the physics around uh, saliva droplets is that they don't typically spread further than uh, a meter and a half to two meters. And that's why social distancing and uh, spatial separation is so effective. So if you're, so long as you're further than two meters away from an, you know, someone who's got, got COVID as an infection, you are generally safe. Yeah, the second way COVID spreads is uh, these droplets land on different surfaces and the surfaces can be um, tables or desks or elevator rails or um, uh, railings. And they can survive on those surfaces for a period of time. And there's lots of um, research around how long they survive. And if you're touching those surfaces and then you're you're bringing your, your, your hand to your mouth, that's how you get infected. Now, if you play that back into a home environment, if you're at home, you're separated from any potential COVID contact. Um, and so that's uh, useful for being at home. So you're not going into public spaces and coming into contact you know, with someone who's, who's infected. So we are separating people around that. So that's why home, home works. I think the second thing is that your home environment, um, as long as no one in your home has been infected, is a is a relatively sterile environment uh, from, from a COVID perspective. So you're not picking up your COVID on hand, handrails. And what that does is if we're all staying at home and we're all uh, um, socially separated for a, you know, a little while, and by the way, we're not socially separated because we have this thing called social media where we're still very much socially connected but we're physically separated for a while. What that does is it gives us a gap and it gives us time where you know, we're able to reduce you know, the infection rates. So that's why being at home is, uh, is, is so important. So that's uh, the one aspect of being at home uh, and being healthy at home is prevent yourself from getting uh, COVID and more importantly, prevent COVID from, from propagating. I think yeah, the, the second aspect of um, you know, being at home, and you know, we're pushing hard on this at the moment, not only with, you know, among, uh, across our employees, but also across our members is Now's an opportunity to be physically active. Uh, yeah, the weather is still pretty good. You've still got your time on your hands. You don't need to spend time in traffic. So we're working at the moment on you know, stretch classes and Pilates classes and yoga classes and healthy eating. Um, yeah, a short uh, uh, runs around um, you know, the garden you know, if, if you've got some space there. So there's an opportunity to get you know, physically healthy over the next uh, 21 days. I think the third aspect that is you know, really really important is um, uh, is to maintain good mental uh, well-being over the the next uh, 20, 21 days um, Yeah, so really important to maintain your social connectedness to maintain your positive your outlook this is not jail time over the next 20, 21 days um, and you' know, we would encourage people to certainly uh, to, to r- remain connected, to remain you know, talking to, to people. are you know, virtually obviously, but watch your your mental health over the next uh, twenty one days as well. Those really? are the three. Yeah.
0: Mm, brilliant. Uh, what are the chances of this being extended?
3: Oh, Alec, uh, that's a very tough uh, question to to answer. Um, Or maybe when will uh, we
0: know uh, whether it's it's working or not? How deep into the 21 days will we get an idea?
3: uh, What we've got to do over the next week or so is watch the infection numbers closely. And I think we can expect the infection numbers to grow quite a bit over the next seven days or so. We would then, uh, If our strategies are uh, successful, as they've been, by the way, in countries like uh, the Republic of Korea, Korea has been very, very successful in stemming the tide on you know, the infection rate. So Korea went up to 8,000-odd odd infections, and they've stayed at 8,000 infections um, you know, for the last you know, five or six weeks already. And that's the trajectory we would like to follow. And uh, that's the, the essence of flattening this, this curve. All of the stuff we're doing right now and all of the stuff our, our president introduced last week in terms of your travel bans and this week in terms of your lockdowns is designed to help us flatten that curve so that we're able to keep this um, uh, epidemic under, con- under control. Um, we, we will obviously watch these things closely over the next year, week or two. The more we work together around this, the more chance we have of uh, flattening the curve. The more chance we have of getting through this um, you know, as, as, as quickly as um, as quickly as possible. But
0: um, I guess for the uninitiated, if we finish the 21 days and the curve is flattened and and the number of infections hasn't been growing, what risk is there when we all go back to work again of it just starting up again?
3: Yeah, it's a great question. So. I think the first principle on that is it will be a gradual return to um, your normalcy. So it's very unlikely that all restrictions will be removed immediately after the 21 days. Um, as it will gradually, likely gradually, return to some some level of uh, normalcy and start to to open up your businesses and open up schools and universities and so on and so on and so forth. So this will be will more than likely be a process over a few a few months. Um, and. Depending on where the curve, depending on how successful we are or, or not, that'll dictate you the, the the timelines on this. I think the best measure we have is the, the Wuhan response. So Wuhan in, in China, Wuhan over the course of two months ran a very very aggressive um, social uh, distance um, social distancing campaign and spatial separation campaign. And it uh, was very, very effective in getting people separated, getting the the, the the curve flattened. And Wuhan is now starting to come back online. Um, yeah, in fact, uh, as of this week, uh, they're the loosening restrictions and loosening restrictions. Um, their epidemic uh, started started on the 25th of January, around about to the middle of January, they started to, to spike. And then they started to put these restrictions in place. Um, So that's about our our, our most reliable case study. We're starting to see Republic of Korea come out of this now as well, also somewhere around a um, uh, a, a six- to eight-week time frame. But those are two countries that did a a remarkable job. They kept it under control. Um, And I think uh, everything South Africa has done so far has been – um, very, very um, you know, solid and robust. We've moved quickly on this. The response by our government has been um, extraordinary and uh, you know, we'll all work together. We will, we'll, we'll hopefully get through this much quicker.
0: New York is the epicenter of the US's battle against COVID-19 with the state accounting for around half of America's 56,000 infections. Here's some personal insights from a regular visitor to the Big Apple, South Africa's favorite market commentator, David Shapiro, whose daughter, Karen, lives in New York City.
4: Metropolises like New York are are hotbeds for this to spread. Simply, you can't avoid it. You know, Alec, if you get in the lift, <laughs> you know, the, the average size of a building in New York, I don't know, it's 40, 50 stories. You know? So if there are people going up and down in the lift and that's how it is transmitted. It's transmitted by touching. You know, they uh, even if you breathe. I, I listened to some talks last night. You know, even when you talk, as I'm talking now, I am emitting droplets. And by the, you know, with those droplets, they they uh, fall on something. They could fall on a rail in an, in a lift or on the buttons or something. Somebody comes there, touches them. They've got it. We've passed it on, and and you've got to be very careful. So, um you, you know, even my daughter said, you know, she's on the the 16th floor. I better start using the the uh, staircase. And so you get those kind of attitudes, but it does spread. And you know, my my daughter Karen is in New York, and believe me, they're in serious lockdown. Incredibly, incredibly nervous of 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 where this is going. And you know, what's happening. Is a lot of the wealthier people are all going down to uh, all going to their second houses somewhere in the Hamptons or or Martha's Vineyard or wherever they're wealthy enough and going into uh, complete isolation away from New York City. They can
5: still do uh, that. They still don't like
4: they to do can. that. <laughs> yeah, they are. No, they can. They yes. can do that. And you know what happens when I watch interviews on TV, uh, especially on the business news, you see them sitting there. Uh, on Skype or on whatever they do, whatever they're using, you can see these wonderful houses in the background. You know, you can see this is not an apartment in New York. This is just some fancy beach hut. You know, that cost multi-trillion dollars or something.
0: But that's that's a little bit like what happened in Italy, where they yeah. cordoned off the area uh, mm. the next day. So they said, well, we're, mm. going, we're going to be uh, cordoning it off, and people scarpered and just spread the virus there. When when you have a look at the Uh, at the numbers from New York. The highest number was from Hubei province in China, obviously, that's in Wuhan, uh, where Wuhan's the main city there, where it all started, at 68,000. But the second highest in the world is in New York at 26,000 of yeah. all metropolises. Mm. And then, mm. then you go to New Jersey at 3,500 mm. and California 2,500. Mm. So mm. it's really, really serious in New York. 271 deaths in the state itself of which 192 yeah. is in New York City. New what York. does Karen say? What, it, it, she lives nervous. there. Mm.
4: Yeah, they are petrified. They are ap- when I say petrified, they're absolutely petrified. Because you know New York City. It's, you're, you're on top of each other all the time. Uh, You know, when you walk on the pavement, uh, it's impossible to keep a a meter away from anybody. You know, that's simply because of the number of people that that habitate there. And they all live in these huge blocks of flats or apartments. So it's very difficult to distance yourself from, you know, from society. And that's why it spread so fast.
0: How are they eating? Do they uh,
4: they they, order in? They do, but there's a whole protocol about that. Uh, you know, you, you wash your hands, you wash the packaging. Uh, um, they're very, very careful about that. So um, they haven't, cl- you know, South Africa, we've closed food deliveries. Um, you can't do that in New York because I don't think the majority of people have ever turned their stoves on. I don't think they've boiled water in their lives. You know, that's how New Yorkers live. And uh, um, they're they're very much an eat-out society.
0: And how long so, are they likely to, to well have they sure. got have they got a shutdown there?
4: Oh yes. Oh yeah. So is, oh, she, no, allowed, is she allowed shut
0: oh, down out of her apartment? Oh, oh no.
4: <laughs> they have to take the dog. <laughs> you know, there are more dogs in New York City than the people. And it's a dog society and they go into Central Park. But they they keep their distance and they are very cautious of of um, of their lifestyle and that and keeping away from people and so they scared. You know, don't, don't underestimate it. There's no flippancy. There's none of that. millennium. there was. Sorry, let me let me put it away. There was. First, you know, they they call uh, the equinox March. What's it? March the 20th or March the 21st when the sun's over the equator. They call it Spring Day, and everybody comes out on Spring Day, and that's why Governor Coma was coma was so incensed because. Central Park was packed with people. Admittedly, they weren't on top of each other. They kept their distance. But there were thousands, I mean, in, in New York's way it won't well, be hundreds of thousands of people sitting on the lawns and enjoying the spring day. But uh, they put a stop to that now. You know, that, that was the danger. And that's why he got, he, you know, he's been so incensed about the way that New York has uh, carried on. And I think finally, maybe a couple of weeks too late, the message has got through.
0: Still in the US, virologists expect that the number of COVID-19 cases in the United States will continue to increase at the current rate of around 30% a day. But despite this, President Donald Trump has indicated he would like to ease restrictions that people should stay at home. A virologist from Columbia University, Angela Rasmussen, explained to Bloomberg's Tom Keane and John Farrow why this is a really bad idea.
6: Yeah, so viruses have to spread between people. Um, viruses can be picked up from the environment, but they generally don't last long on, say, surfaces, for example. Um, so in general, uh, when the population is more dense, you're at more risk of coming across somebody who is also infected who could possibly transmit a virus to you.
7: So, Angela, what have we learned from Wuhan and from northern Italy uh, about the timeline here, flattening that curve? Where are we kind of here in the U.S. on that curve?
6: Well, it's very difficult to say because our testing capacity is not at the point where we can truly accurately determine the prevalence of SARS-CoV-2 in our population. However, um, and I'm Cautioning this by saying I'm not an epidemiologist, but all of the current epidemiological models that I've seen suggest that we're still on the uptick. Yeah. We can expect more cases.
5: I mean, uh, this is so important, folks. And the FT and the New York Times have done great charts on this. And, Angela, they're log charts. And the answer is you want to bend the curve over, as Paul Sweeney says. The Asians have successfully done this, period. And in Europe, it's a struggle. What's so important is the slope of those trajectories. Our slope, Angela, is frightening. How do we bring that slope down?
6: Unfortunately, because we don't know the prevalence in our population very accurately right now, the only way to do that is by these large-scale, very strict social distancing measures. Okay, then, then how do
5: doing. you respond? I don't mean to interrupt, but just because of time, Dr. Rasmussen, how do you respond to the president's one-hour-and-48-minute uh, briefing yesterday, which was to get America back to work? How do you as a grizzled Pro respond to that?
6: I was very concerned about that statement. I don't think that we're anywhere near the point where we can begin to say that. Um, I think that it does need to be evaluated uh, as we go along. Um, I don't think, though, that it's safe to say that people can go back to work unless we can determine if they have been infected before and may have protective immunity.
7: So, Doctor, what is the sense of the treatment how do you think the treatment will evolve over the next several months obviously there's not a COVID-19 treatment uh, flu shot for example but how do you think the treatment will evolve
6: I think if there is a treatment and certainly some of the treatments that have been discussed hydroxychloroquine uh, remdesivir for example are in clinical trials now it's incumbent on us to, to complete those clinical trials as quickly as possible because having an available treatment that's effective Could really dramatically change this for
7: all of us. So a sense of timing on that I know it's you know we usually kind of measure these things in years Uh, is there a possibility to compress that to months?
6: Yes certainly um, for uh, chloroquine um, hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin and remdesivir those trials I believe are already ongoing. Uh, A trial has already been completed in China um, on two HIV drugs that unfortunately did not turn out to work. But um, since the remdesivir and chloroquine trials have also been going on, I think we can expect it to be a matter of weeks, um, 8 to 12 weeks is what I've heard,
7: versus six months to a year. So, Doctor, it's interesting, Tom. You know, it's, uh, it's just kind of we're still in that upward part of the curve here in the United States, certainly in New York City. So, yeah, doctor, I mean, I, yeah, yeah. You know,
5: I, I, I don't mean to interrupt, but uh, thank you, John Tucker, for sending in uh, this headline. Mr. Codlow at the White House says, "quote May try to reopen parts of the economy around month's end." Uh, doctor Asperson, what's that part of the economy going to be? Is it going to be that famous coffee house up in Northampton? Are they going to try to open the Iron Horse Cafe just to keep the economy going? I mean, what do they open? That is an
6: excellent question, and I have no idea. Um, I do think that in many places, uh, some of those service businesses um, and retail are still open. Uh, I know that not in New York and not in Seattle, where I'm calling from right now. Um, But I I really don't know what parts of the economy uh, Mr. Kudlow is speaking of. Um, I think, though, that indiscriminately opening up parts of the economy is is a bad idea without further testing.
0: As we heard earlier, the U.S. has adopted a whatever-it-takes approach by throwing trillions of dollars at its economy to offset the deflationary impact of COVID-19. Independent economist Ryan Leroux believes South Africa needs to follow the American example and to commit to injecting more than has thus far been set aside. The respected former chief economist of Old Mutual said it would be folly to underestimate the deflationary impact of the 21-day shutdown and other consequences of this war against the virus, arguing that in these unique circumstances, the South African Reserve Bank should create money because it's a very good idea. Maybe you can give us some insight into what the Americans have done by injecting $2 trillion into their economy. And why it might not? Well, why you think it's a good idea for South Africa to do something similar?
8: Well, look, I think yeah, if you look at the, uh, what the Americans have done, just to put it into perspective, two trillion dollars is almost ten percent of GDP. That is a massive stimulus program. Um, and Ben Bernanke, the previous uh, chair of the Federal Reserve, um, actually said what the Fed did earlier in the week with a massive buying program of assets was exactly the right thing to do. They got ahead the of the curve. So in other words, what I'm really arguing is that the biggest danger for policy is to under-respond to a crisis. Um, And there's no criticism here on government or the Reserve Bank. All that I'm saying is that typically when you have a crisis like this, you tend to underestimate the negative impacts of it. And very often the second round and third round effects. In other words, it goes from companies onto the banks uh, they have bad debts and so on. So it's important. That's what Ben Bernanke also said. He praised the Fed and said, they got it right. Ahead of the curve, mm. so the biggest danger is you 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 fall behind the curve, and then the, the, then you s- struggle to solve the problem.
0: So ten percent of GDP in South Africa would be roughly thirty five billion dollars. And work that out, and you're talking half a trillion rand. Uh, are my calculations correct?
8: Yeah, it's, it's something of that order. I'm not I'm not suggesting that South Africa should do something to the same extent. What I'm saying is that. And there's no, you know, hard, correct answer here. All that I'm saying is that we should think very carefully about, you know, how this whole thing can impact the economy and make sure that on a policy front, we're actually ahead of the curve. Now, I think one can leave that up to the policymakers uh, to decide what those measures should be. But I'm just a little concerned that we're not really doing enough. And once the GDP numbers come out, and once we start to see the negative impacts spreading through the economy, that we may actually realize that we're behind the curve. The biggest thing, you know, what you should remember is that, you know, if you act decisively um, up front um, and, and you sort of overreact almost, you can, almost you, you can always take it back later. But if you underreact, then you're consistently running hard just to prevent this thing from getting worse and worse and worse.
0: Now, a lot of people don't understand or don't get exponentiality, but in this case, we have to quickly learn and quickly appreciate that what happens in a case of exponentiality is although South Africa today is sitting at about 700 infections, which is really, by by global standards, not bad at all, the problem is it's now going to start escalating as it has been in the last few days, and very soon it'll be well into the thousands.
8: Yeah, oh, that's correct. Uh, we're thinking here more about the impact on the economy. So, you know, 700 infections out of 56 million people is essentially nothing. But the impact through the economy is massive. And there are lots of people that have gone from, you know, pretty decent income last month to absolutely nothing this month. Um, I know a few of them, and it's very painful. So you must make sure that policy can actually help all these people through the crisis. So that's really the point I'm trying to make, is that we must make very sure, and policymakers have got to make very sure that the policy stimulus that we're putting in place is sufficient to carry the economy through the crisis to prevent second round negative effects and to ensure that you actually have enough enough stimulus in place when things start to improve on the health front, that the economy can actually recover quite quickly. This is very clearly what the Americans are trying to do. They're ahead of the curve, they're putting in massive amounts of stimulus and they're saying to themselves, look, we will pick up the pieces later. Now you can ask yourself, will this kind of thing not be inflationary? Absolutely not. I mean, how many people said during the global financial crisis of 2008, you know, this thing's going to generate a lot of inflation? What did we see? Nothing. Why? Because it simply offset the very powerful deflationary forces.
0: Are we looking at a similar deflationary situation here with this uh, COVID-19?
8: It's hard to say exactly how deflationary this thing is going to be, but there's no question that the economy is going through a massive demand shock. People they are losing their incomes, If you look at balance sheets, that's being very hard hit through the fall in the equity market, Um, and and even the decline in interest rates, it will help people that have debt. But there are lots of people, especially older older people that rely on interest income, that that actually sees the income uh, go down. So I think we should be very careful not underestimating the extent of this deflationary shock. So all I'm saying is that we need to have sufficient policy stimulus in place to carry the economy through. And to get a recovery going once things improve.
0: How much might that be? Take a guess at it.
8: Um, it's Alec, it's very hard to say. I think one will have to do some numbers uh, on this one. But I think my, my gut feeling, rather than putting a number on it, I would argue that it's more than we have in place. And probably significantly more. Um, But exactly on how much you need, this is not exact science. You only look back later and you say to yourself, that was enough or it wasn't enough. Um, So I think what we have in place is good. It's certain on the margin. I'm not sure necessarily is enough.
0: And, And the obvious question for most people is where would the money come from?
8: Well, that's the problem that we have here is that there is no fiscal space. So you've got to ask yourself, what are other countries doing? Well, where's the money coming from? A lot of the, of the stimulus package is coming from central bank's balance sheets. Now, what does that mean? It means that the central bank actually uh, provides, it actually creates money. It prints money. Um, so what is the Fed doing? The Fed is now going to buy corporate bonds. They're buying mortgage bonds again. Um, you know, we, and, and, well, Where does the money come from? Well, they simply print it. Mm-hmm. In, a, in a kind of crisis like this, the deflationary shock is so massive that under normal circumstances, printing Money by a central bank is a very bad thing. It's very inflationary. But if you're faced with a deflationary shock like this, now this is one of the things that you can do. You can use the reserve bank's balance sheet. Uh, in other words, you know, in the in the shorter term, you can create money. You can print money and then just take it back later.
0: So the Ameri- so when things hmm.
8: do, you reverse things again.
0: The Americans have created two trillion dollars. We could create two trillion rand if we felt like it.
8: Yeah, look, I, I think you, you've, got to, you've got to understand that the, the, you've got two packages in America. You've got the fiscal package, and then you've got to what the central bank is doing. Um, the fiscal package is two trillions, I understand it. Uh, what the central bank is doing, I'm not exactly sure. I know it's, it's trillions of dollars, but it, it, you're talking about big numbers here. Um, in South Africa's case, I don't necessarily think that we need the same kind of package. Um, it's, it's hard to say. All that I'm saying is I think what we have in place may not necessarily be enough.
0: If I understand correctly, the bold actions or the reaction that um, the president has made in implementing a lockdown as has happened now, if that is successful, could save the country an enormous amount of money in the long term because you'd need less to help us over the uh, COVID-19 crisis. Am I reading that right?
8: I think that is 100% correct. But what I also think is that going back to the economy, I think that there are a whole host of structural headwinds that's getting put in place here that's not going to go away that quickly. So, yes, I've heard a number of people talking about the V-shaped recovery, but, you know, it it may be the V-shape comes from a much lower level of output. Um, So you have a V-shaped recovery, but actually you struggle to ever get back to where you were. An extremely good example is look look at South Africa's manufacturing production after 2008. After 2000, it recovered kind of V shaped, but it's not even back yet to where it was in two thousand seven. That's the problem. So your initial recovery is V shaped, but you know, you never get back because you just face a number of structural headwinds.
0: episode 4 of Inside COVID-19. I'm Alec Hogg. Until tomorrow, cheerio! This conversation on COVID-19 was made possible by Discovery.